Uh, well, welcome, John. Um, Great we, to be back. Yeah. Um, a sequel to, uh, I think, what's a uh, fascinating paradigm. Uh, that, that's how I've been thinking about it since we last spoke and even beforehand that uh, order is a paradigm or a lens which we look at uh, the, the same things we would look at as if we were looking through a more traditional sin salvation lens. Um, right. uh, uh, but it, it, it brings fresh insights to things. I don't think it it's in any kind of competition um, with traditional ways of thinking. I think it's more expansive though. Uh, and um, my reading of the, of the times in which we live is that uh, we need... Uh, we need fresh ways of looking at the gospel that sort of take it out of the religious box and make it more accessible and in a way more challenging to the broader secular world we live in. Uh, and the issue of order, um, I think, is something everybody can uh, align with. Um, you know, it's, that, it's the, something that really everybody understands. I mean, we even talk about law and order. Mm. Their law is a means by which to get at order. But we all know that, that order is important, and we all know that it's something we see. That's not a conversation even. It's not a discussion. Everybody knows it, and everybody desires it. Yeah, and um, I think that's, uh, that makes what we're talking about uh, very, very vital. Now, last time we laid out, I suppose, what I'd call the big picture, Mm -hmm. um, you gave some of the rationale, we, we explored, uh, I took a modern view of the word quote-unquote order um, uh, through the word, through the idea of design, mm -hmm. um, innovation, and I think the attendant idea of beauty and aesthetics. Uh, there are so many ways we can go in this conversation. Um, and um, I... Uh, one way, you know, that certainly interests me, but I don't think I want to push today is into the character of God. Um, um, it, it seems to add another dimension to the character of God. I think, I think, I think we'll 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 trip across that one as well. Um, uh, the the uh, the second thing that I've been thinking about is that the word order uh, in, and what you've just said implies this, the, the word order can have a almost a negative connotation as in law and order. In other words, it can be used for the status quo against change, uh, against creativity, or it can be viewed in a more dynamic way um, as an evolving order that unfolds and is the process of creativity. Um, and uh, I mean, I'd like to just begin by asking you, do you have any views on the biblical Genesis leaning between those two meanings of that of the word order? Well, it's interesting because even though I've been proposing that order is sort of the key value in the Bible and in the ancient world, if you said, show me the places where the word is used, I'd be pretty much stuck. There might be one or two passages, but to say, what's the Hebrew word for order? Well, there really isn't one. But of course, there isn't a Hebrew word for morality. There isn't a Hebrew word for religion. 
and there isn't a Hebrew word for lots of things yeah. that are important. And so in that sense, um, to try to, to put together sort of a biblical profile, um, it's, it's difficult to get there. But they always thought of order positively. Um, the only negative aspect of order is when people impose it on other people selfishly or in greed. But that's, that's always when people are trying to make their own order around themselves instead of pursuing God's order. God's order is never a negative thing. Sometimes it has negative ramifications. So when God restored order by means of the flood, that had a negative impact on people. But the order itself was not a negative thing. Uh, again, people long for order. And in our worst moments, we want ourselves to be the center of it. And we want it to all focus on us. And as we talked about last time, that's what I talk about when I talk about what we call the fall. Uh, it's wanting to center order on ourselves. Uh, so that can be a bad thing because that's not driven by the idea that God is actually the source and center of order. So that parses it out a little bit, but it's, it's difficult to go deeper into the text to figure that stuff out. Yes. Um, well, let's just park that question. I mean, I think both of us would want to say that uh, what you've just said, I think, is, is something we touched on last time, that order is not an impersonal state. It's actually an expression of God's personality. Um, yes. Uh, of his character, um, and uh, and and to that extent that it's an expression of his identity, his character, his person, uh, it will definitely be, I would think, an evolving, um, uh, dynamic uh, revelation and unfolding. It's even an interesting question, and I'm not sure I can answer it, but I can pose it for our thought. Does God do order? Or would we say God is order? And that order naturally emanates from him. Um, so, for instance, I don't think in terms of, and this is an argument to have, uh, of God doing justice. Justice emanates from him. And therefore, that reflects more of who he is. But... You know, theologians have these kinds of discussions. <laughs> and, you know, it, I, I don't think you can separate the being from the doing. So certainly God does order in that sense. But how much, when we talk about these qualities or characteristics of God, how much do we put that in a frame of this is what God decides to do? How much does God decide? Or how much is, he, is it just who he is? You could find passages in the Bible that talk about him sort of making a decision, but you could also argue that those are anthropomorphic and just portraying God in those kinds of terms. So there's just all kinds of interesting discussions here that quickly get out of my range because I'm a text guy, I'm not a theologian. Well, I'm, I'm You're a little more philosopher, Tony. You can help us out here. 
You know, well, I'm, 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 I was about to say I'm nothing. I'm, 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 I'm the complete generalist who just skips across everything. But I think what you've said is quite important. I've, uh, the way I'd express it is that we have a tendency to objectify and thus alienate things like justice, law and morality. And I feel in the back of people's minds that almost makes, makes it bigger than God. Yeah, that's, that, as a matter of fact, that's, you know, theologians that I have conversations with, they say, the minute you say God is just, you're creating a problem, because then you're saying God is fitting into a category. Who made up this category? Yes. Is the category the one you designed and that now God has to fit into your idea of what justice is, right? So that whole idea of, is God free? Uh, free to be God, and is justice kind of our attempt to put him in a box? Uh, very interesting questions, but again, out of my yeah. my realm. But where I find these questions uh, devotional, really, is that uh, because I'm definitely I'm definitely of the opinion that we need a bigger picture of God, and therefore objectifying qualities, be it order, be it morality or whatever, objectifying, albeit holiness, um, implicitly is, that's anthropomorphic because we humans uh, work inside of a morality system. You know, if I'm a judge, I might be the greatest judge in the land, but the law is greater than me, you know. I must, my greatness is that I abide by that external principle. And you're right, if we create a category called order and it's bigger than God and God's God because he fits into it and we don't, well then actually, no, <laughs> Uh, it's not working. Whereas if, if these are all outflows of the dynamic reality of God, then yes. as we pursue them, we are finding God. I mean, the joy that we would find, for instance, in order, the joy in beauty um, is, not, is, is therefore located as a joy in God, which is, I think, how people like Jonathan Edwards would, you know, very intellectual man, but I've been thinking quite a bit about him of late with his idea of the affections, you know, that... Um, because uh, uh, beauty and order arouse an affection in me of, of joy. Um, and uh, he would say, well, that's because you are approaching God uh, himself. Well, God created us this way. Mm. And that's why we have this hunger, this thirst inside us for this order, because yeah. we are in God's image and he created us to desire those things so that we can effectively work alongside him to bring those purposes about? Well, um, what I'd like to do uh, for the remainder of our interview um, is to pick up on this idea of the presence of God being in this ca capacity for order and ordering. Um, and you have uh, broken that into three, uh, I think your word was manifestations of order, um, which I thought were really helpful. Um, uh, because it begins to make the word more concrete for us a little bit. And I think it begins to throw us forward out of Genesis, almost into the end of all things and also into our lives. So could you just lay out for us uh, in overview at first, the, these, what you see as the manifestations of order um, sure. in the rest of the scriptures? Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last time because we, we broached the question of rest and God resting among his people and 
uh, God resting on a throne. We talked about those issues last time. And we even mentioned, I think just briefly, the issue of peace. Peace. The three manifestations that you refer to uh, are rest and peace and what I call coherence. And uh, there are three important manifestations because they cover our circumstances, our feelings, and our thoughts. So when I think about rest, I think, first of all, of course, that God is resting on his throne, ruling the cosmos. now, since Pentecost, he is resting in us, his people, and that God's rest is what brings stability and security. Uh, it brings that for us as his people, but we're not just cisterns. We're supposed to be aqueducts, and therefore God's rest is supposed to spread to others. So the fact that God is resting means that he also brings rest to his people. Of course, we see this in the Old Testament. God is going to bring rest for Israel. And that's not relaxation or leisure. That's stability and security in a kingdom perspective, for them in a covenant perspective. And so God rests, and he also facilitates rest. He brings rest. But it's interesting that as he brings rest, the opposite of rest is turmoil or unrest. And as he brings rest, he doesn't uh, resolve Israel's turmoil. He doesn't get rid of all unrest. But rather, he wants to give them a covenant perspective that helps them to transcend their circumstances, to find rest in him and in his presence and the order that he can bring. So that's circumstances where uh, we still have turmoil yet we can find rest in God. And so we have um, verses like uh, Deuteronomy 12.10. You'll cross the Jordan, settle in the land the Lord is giving you, and he will give you rest from all your enemies. Um, In Isaiah 32.18, my people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. And of course we have Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are labored, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Again, that doesn't resolve our circumstances. It rather helps us to have a transcendent perspective. Now, along with the rest in our circumstances, God also is the one who brings us peace. Peace relates to our feelings. And peace is uh, something that resolves fear. That's why you always hear, fear not, I will give you peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. And so the peace that God gives resolves our fear. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And so the peace that Jesus gives is to resolve fear. Again, that doesn't mean that all the things that we fear in this world are gone. It just means we can find that peace because of our trust in Jesus. And of course, Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust. 
And so God, Jesus, bring peace as we trust them, even though we live in a world of fear. So rest is our circumstances. Peace is our feelings. But then that leads to the third one. And again, order, see again, order is comprised of those three things, maybe more, but those are the three I identify. Rest, peace, coherence. Coherence is um, not that we find order in our ability to understand everything. That was Job's mistake. He thought that he understood how everything should work, and then his whole house of cards collapsed. So it's not like we can understand and explain everything, um, but rather we trust God to resolve the confusion in our thoughts. Now, I have to explain that a little more because we're still confused about the things around us. We're confused that people do what they do, that, that of course, we're experiencing now some looting in, around our country and our cities, that we are experiencing racism, we're experiencing uh, greed and power grabs, and that's always confusing. Why do people do this to one another? Okay, but when the confusion that God resolves is a confusion about what he's doing, not what people around us are doing. How do we think about what God's doing in the world? To me, that's what the book of Job is about. How do you think about God when the world falls apart? So in that sense, our reference point is God in his kingdom. And when that's true, our thinking can rise above the confusion that swirls around us. So Proverbs 3.5 tells us, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Which understanding is he talking about? Well, the understanding of how you put things together, how you make things work. We're going to be confused. Um, Isaiah 50, verse 10, let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. When knowledge fails, trust steps in. And so uh, in Colossians 1.17, we learn that in Christ, all things hold together. So that's that coherence, the coherence that's in the kingdom of God and the perspective on the kingdom. So order, I find, manifested in those three things. Rest, which we receive. God rests. We receive rest. We give rest to the world around us. We're participating in God's order bringing. Fear, we feel fear. God calms our hearts, gives us peace, and so we become aqueducts of peace to others. And then coherence. Uh, the world doesn't make sense to us. But we don't try to say, God, what in the world are you doing? Uh, we just trust, and we try to convey that trust to others as we bring order to the world around us. Uh, that is uh, packed. There's a lot packed into that. Yeah. Um, so let's unpack it a little bit. But before we unpack it, which I, which I do want to do, I would like you to uh, um, expand one other point that you made actually when we were beginning that you actually. If we, if we, you, and I think we, we did this at the beginning of our, of our chat this morning, you aligned order with presence. So I, I would definitely take a view that if we objectify order and make it a category 
that is free standing, <laughs> we've made a mistake. It's actually the presence of God. Um, we're living in a world where this cosmos at the, um, is in a now and not yet tension um, between not just order, but disorder and non-order. And we're living in that tension where we being the church uh, are, are, are the harbingers, harbingers of the future. Um, can you talk a little bit about your view from Exodus 40, where the end game is actually um, not us, as it were, within the cosmos solving these issues, but actually almost getting the cosmos ready for, for God's presence to be instantiated here? Right. I mean, that's, that's really where the book of Exodus reaches its grand finale. God comes. God shows up. God, uh, really, the first time since Eden, God is dwelling among his people. Uh, you know, in that one perspective I have that says this is what God always wanted, to dwell among his people, to be in relationship with us. And that had a hiatus, a long period of time from Eden until Tabernacle at Sinai, uh, where that was not happening. Um, but yet there God comes and again takes up his dwelling. And the, the, the idea there is God comes home. God comes home to the place that he has created, the cosmos, to dwell with his people. So it's God's rest among his people that gives them rest. God is the source and center of order. He's on the throne. He's dwelling among people. He's in relationship with them. That brings rest and order to them, despite the fact that not everything is as it ought to be, but that provides the basis for that rest. So God's presence is a huge part of, of all of that. And of course, when God's presence leaves, you know, this is Ezekiel 10. He sees the vision of God's presence leaving. And that's disaster of all disasters. It's Eden all over again. Uh, and now everything's up for grabs and order is gone and exile is to follow and destruction of the temple, destruction of the Jerusalem uh, and covenant in jeopardy, all of those things. And again, that's all tied to God's presence. Israel had no ability to experience order if God was not dwelling in their midst. So, so, so we can, I've always had difficulty with the word heaven. Um, uh, we, we could perhaps uh, have a synonym for it as presence. Um, we're, we're looking forward to the, uh, to the unmitigated presence of God when he comes home and the whole cosmos becomes his tabernacle. Well, that's exactly how Revelation 21 describes it. You know, Revelation doesn't, 21 doesn't talk about how now you're saved you know, your salvation is finalized. It doesn't talk about, you know, uh, harps or angels or, or heavenly choirs or any of those things. 21 talks about God is here. All non-order is resolved. All disorder is gone. Order permeates creation. And there's not even a temple because a temple had walls. A temple had divisions. A temple had barricades and obstacles. Walls are down. Yeah. And God is here. Hallelujah. And so that's how new creation describes it. You know, the I heard a sermon a couple weeks ago, great sermon, um, and he said, you know, some of us, uh, if I said to you, are you excited about going to heaven? We'd say, oh, yes, yes, yes. He would say, you want to go now? 
oh, well, no, no, maybe not, maybe not now, you know, you know, you know, when you think about leaving here, being done here, dying, going to heaven now, maybe not, okay? He said, so let's rephrase the question. How interested are you in living in a place where there's, there's no struggle, where there's no turmoil, where there's no unrest, no crime, no sin, where everything is the way it ought to be? Would you like to wake up tomorrow and have that? Yes, yes, we would. And so again, it's, it's like you said, the change in paradigm. You know, what do we think about when we think of heaven? Um, and this order spectrum, uh, this new paradigm can help us think beyond I'm saved and going to heaven. We are, but, but to think beyond that, to say this has to do with how God has always wanted it to be. Uh, the, his, the, full, the full package of his presence and the order that it brings. Yes, and I think uh, something you said earlier um, opens a little a, a door to the fact that I think we're used to looking at our attitude to God and our affections for God and how we must tutor our affections for God and tutor our mind for God. And it's as if um, it's one-way traffic, whereas really what the Bible says is uh, our desire for God is nothing compared to his desire for us. Yes. Yes. That, you know, at our best moments, we talk about how we so desire being in the presence of God. And yet we know that it's sometimes a struggle. We, we have trouble committing to daily time with God. We have trouble organizing our, our routines and calendars to get to, to church, so to speak, or to spend time in the Word or in prayer. But God is always wanting to be part of our lives, uh, to to really fulfill what he created us for. Um, it is his desire to dwell among us and to be in relationship with us. And that's a desire that doesn't suffer ebb and flow, uh, that doesn't kind of work out well one day and then another day he's kind of tired of us. Uh, he wants to be with us. Yeah, and, and I think to, if I pushed it further, using the quite biblically endorsed metaphor of marriage um he uh, people say you know well if if god is god why doesn't he just remove blockages you know like a king would you know um uh, why doesn't he just kind of bring in the national guard clear the troops um the, the uh, this whole love paradigm uh, particularly the the marriage paradigm says it, he wants us but he wants us so much that he wants us to want him yeah. and uh, if we're not wanting him he's not satisfied he 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 so i think that wanting us to want him desiring us to desire him does give meaning to this now and not yet um gray area we're in which you alluded to that um um the uh you know for, for each one of those three categories there was a disordering or non-ordering category there was a contest in each of them and that in the middle of that we're in the middle of those contests you know we're in the middle of those contests as to where we put our allegiance um 
So I, 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 what I'd like to do um, just for the, for the last, you know, 20 minutes or so is go into those three and just play around with them a little bit. Um, by the way, as you were talking, I couldn't, I love three. Um, uh, it's got to be Trinitarian. So um, um, I am attracted to the heuristic of the normative, situational and existential uh, triad um, which John Frame and others have put forward, but uh, which does map onto Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And if I did that, then the normative would be the cosmos, the big picture, the rest. The existential would be the inner life of peace and the coherence would be secured in Christ. So I can turn it Trinitarian <laughs> quickly, but I won't go there now. Um, I, I would like to, let, let's begin with, with the rest one. Um, where you talked about circumstances and, and, and I was seeing that as, you know, the ecology, the cosmos, that where every one of us as individuals are in. We're, in. we're in a time and a place. It's all bigger than us. We're in nations, we're in villages, we're in a certain year. Um, and the, the ultimate, um, and, and, we don't have rest, and of course, the word rest is so big in Hebrews. I'm sure you know Hebrews uh, four is it makes vast use of that, and and the idea that the kind of rule God wants is rest over the cosmos. Um, but and it's a big but. The cosmos is in uh, non-order and disorder, as well as wanting order. You know, it's it's when we look at the whole world, there's order at the heart of everything, but disorder at all the edges. Um, so uh, I was really fascinated in your, the way you expressed it, which is how, how do I as a believer stand in the midst of that rest? And you know, what's, what's my calling and responsibility? And I think as you said, it is actually uh, the Bible admits you, that there will not be rest circumstantially uh, now universally. I mean, I'll taste periods of it, but there will be many periods of turmoil. Mm -hmm. And it admits that. And so the question is, how do I behave when I've got turmoil? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think your answer was that I'm given a high hope of the end game and that the turmoil is not the defining factor. Rest is the defining factor. Have I got that correct? Yes, that's true. But I think there's also something for the not yet. I mean, that's, that's the already. No, I'm sorry. That's the not yet that we're looking forward to. Now there's something for the already. Uh, and that is a shift in perspective. Yes. Um, that a transcendent perspective, and I think this has to be what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11. A transcendent perspective is going to look at the kingdom first and see the kingdom level first. And then recognize that despite that, um, that kingdom perspective, that that hasn't resolved all the turmoil and the unrest that we experience. Um, how can we look beyond our very difficult circumstances? And part of it is to recognize there's something bigger, something higher, something transcendent uh, in the kingdom but also to say, and I'm going to be part of that. That is, I'm going to take that idea and now move out into the world with that. You know, when, 
when we can bring God's presence to others, we can help bring rest to others. Remember that even before the flood, Noah's father names him Noah, rest, because this is the one who will bring rest, resolution of turmoil. We're supposed to be, we talked about this last time, order bringers. Uh, we're supposed to help people see beyond the turmoil that they struggle with. And so in that sense, God gives us rest so we can try to bring rest to others to see beyond circumstances. That would give a lot of texture to, to Jesus' blessing, blessed are the peacemakers. Yes, yes. Um, who, who, who are bringing forward rest into circumstances. I, I uh, so, so it's, it's what you're saying. Another word for this might be the declaration of hope. Uh, you know, that the, the, we are declaring the hope in, into present circumstances. And um, although we, because uh, we believe there's, that there's an ordering principle of rest in all of the world, we, we are the most optimistic people on the planet. Um, <laughs> Anne and I were, were actually reading this morning, uh, uh, there, there seem to be nuggets of this everywhere in the Bible, Deuteronomy 15, with which you would be more, familiar than I, but he's talking about the poor in the land. And the beginning of the chapter uh, declares, um, because it's the debt release chapter, um, cancelling of debts and so on. It says, there should be no poor in the land because I'm going to bless it. But then about five verses later, it says, there'll always be poor in the land. So you're going to have to show them. And uh, as you were talking, I was thinking of that exactly, that there's a belief that the blessing of God means in his cosmos, there should be no poor in the land. That, um, that's the ordering principle. The reality is uh, there are poor and uh, you, you, should be bring, you should be a conduit to these poor of the higher order principle. Is that a way of putting it? Sure. And when we go out into the world, we are out to make disciples by bringing them that same hope of rest and order you know when you look at the great commission it doesn't happen to mention salvation or forgiveness of sins getting yeah. back to something we've already talked about yeah you know you look at the great commission and it says uh, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth that's god's rule mm -hmm. god's rest is god's rule so all authority has been given to me therefore go make disciples about authority being given to god and his rest and his rule make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, understanding the kingdom perspective, right, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That is the order that comes in obeying what Christ has said. And how does it end? Because surely I am with you, even to the end of the age. God's presence is the basis for this discipling that's taking place. I just find it fascinating that we focus on such a small piece of salvation from sins as if the gospel is all about that. And here the gospel is something huge. It's God's reign, God's rule, God's kingdom, and God's presence. Yes, it's, uh, it's absolutely, um, it's a perspective that changes everything. Um, yes. And it, it, it works, I mean, 
can we just uh, move on to the next two? Um, I think this idea of uh, peace and fear, uh, that's really quite strong. Um, I wanted to hop through to the, the, the third one, coherence. Um, to me, that is uh, a really big, big word. Um, and interestingly to me, um, it is a word that the New Testament seems to use uh, for the end of all things in Christ. Um, you know what I'm thinking of, I'm sure, Colossians. Ephesians. Yeah, Colossians 1.17, yeah. Yeah, um, that rather than the end being, you know, the traditional, the end of all things is when all sins are forgiven. and That, that seems to be a pathway to something bigger. Yeah. You've used the word coherence. We know that Paul, uh, in that wondrous, well, what Paul declares is the mystery of the end of all things is um, Ephesians 1.10, that God will cohere, would be, I presume, one very valid translation of that word, you know, unify. Um, uh, you know, Irenaeus was fascinated by that all his life. He called it recapitulation, that there's this sense of unity in the diversity of the entire cosmos that will be achieved in Christ. And... Uh, what you related that to is that that gives us uh, in the midst of confusion and you, you related to Joe, this, this, it's like Jesus gives us like a core <laughs> um, from which we can arrange and understand all, all things. Can you just say a little bit more about that? Well, and that's the thing. We always want to try to, to synthesize, put it all together. You know, the, the, the solution to everything you know, a theory of everything, uh, these kinds of ideas. Uh, we really want to find that coherence. And of course, the Bible's position is that coherence only exists in God. Uh, that's like the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. Now, wisdom, as we talked about last time, is the, the pursuit of order. And so uh, the pursuit of order is the pursuit of coherence. And wisdom, that wisdom is not just in all the things that we can work out but it's got to have the fear of the Lord component, else it's not going to actually lead to coherence. No coherence is possible without the fear of the Lord and wisdom and seeing God as the one who pulls that all together. So again, we're not going to be able to gain exactly what does he have in mind that pulls it all together. Uh, we often think that we can achieve coherence by getting explanations. Why did you do this, God? Why did you let, you know, the pandemic loose? Well, why did you bring shingles into my life? Why did you, you know, cause me to lose a loved one in a car accident? Why did you? We, and we seek coherence in explanations. And it's very interesting that God's response in Job is that no, your coherence is not going to come through explanations. Your coherence is going to come by recognizing that you have a role in the purposes of God. And no matter what's happening around you, you need to be thinking, what is my role in the purposes of God, given the situation that I'm in, given the circumstances that's around me? And I find coherence in thinking about purpose instead of, thinking about reasons and causes. I mean, it's the same thing Jesus said with the man born blind in John 9. 
you know, why is this man born blind? Do they want an explanation? They figure if they have a reason, they can find coherence. And Jesus says, well, it's neither this man nor his parents. And at this point, the disciples are already feeling frustration. It's neither this man nor his parents, but that the Son of Man might be glorified, because that's always our purpose. That's always the purpose that we have. It's very interesting. I think this is, uh, goes back nicely to where we began uh, with two uh, rival conceptions of order. Um, you know, one, one, one conception of order, which I would say the Greco-Roman world had politically, was stability, status quo. Um, and, and that can be achieved. We're seeing that in dictatorships in the world at the moment by regimes of, of relentless, maniacal micromanagement and control. Government and, and politics. Sorry? Government and politics. Government and politics, exactly. <laughs> and 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 um, and I see that in organisational life. Every leader, almost, and probably true with in parenting. You know, how do I control somebody else's behaviour? I mean, I I um, this is a very big debate. For instance, in law, um, I, I one of the, my consulting projects years ago was to help uh, the government and the tax office and treasury rewrite the tax law in plain English and. The big debate in law is between you know black letter law versus principles based law. You know, um, in black letter law, I cover every circumstance, every contingency is covered so that it's watertight. And of course, what happens is we find it's never watertight because right. <laughs> so that's for that reason the Australian Tax Act has grown to a, you know a vast volume and it's not big enough. It's never big enough. It's the a juggernaut. The other alternative, which we actually put into legislation at the time, I don't know what's happened since, but was uh, you know, very smart lawyers were attracted to the kind of grey approach, which is principles. Um, what we found um, when we looked at the old legislation was that you would find a lot of what they call provisions and no one could work out why on earth they were there, you know, unless somebody happened to say, well, in 1945, there was this problem with dairy farmers in Northern Queensland and as a result, and everyone's forgotten that. And, and now I'm, I'm a mining company and I'm looking saying, how on earth does this apply to me? And whereas purpose and what we did was for every major section, uh, we, 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 we created what we called a purpose clause. To, to say why are we doing this, and and that is is what gave the coherence. Okay. So I've seen this principle, uh, and it, it comes into leadership. You know, there's there's I, uh, there's a, a great. I'm very attracted to what some people call mission-centered leadership. You know, rather than me telling you what all to do, I'll tell you. I'll I'll give you the mission. I'll give you why we're here, and then you work out how that mission will be deployed into your circumstances. And I think that. Concept of I think Christians, unfortunately, in many cases, veer towards this: we ought to have the answer in every. You know, God's given us the total yeah. answer to every situation. He's, 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 rather than He's given us a person in whom all things will go here. We, right. Well, in in a book I recently wrote on the Torah, one of my very important points was uh, the Torah is not to to give legislation. It's not trying to legislatively address all the possibilities. It's to give wisdom so that you know the right way to live. And so very much more wisdom rather than legislation. And uh, I think, the, again, the coherence is in wisdom, not a letter of the law. 
Yes, and I think what you've done is give us a very, very um, evocative, uh, nourishing picture of, of wisdom. I and mean, wisdom's everyone wants to be wise, but but sure. I think what you've said is is wisdom is somebody whose life has been governed by the principle of order um, as being the heart of God, and that they are people who find rest even in turmoil because they believe that rest is the is the is the is the is is the governing perspective um so they're hopeful people uh, so to be wise is to be hopeful and to speak peace in the situations they're people who in the in, in their hearts are at peace because of their trust in that and they're people who uh don't seek a total um answer in every situation um but rather uh ground their understanding in in god and his actions on the world yes coherent you know it doesn't solve problems for us but it helps us think about why we're here what we're doing what this is all about and um i think it's uh, gives us important perspectives on thinking about our role in standing alongside of God to carry out his plans and purposes. Yeah. I think it also speaks about, to me, you know, uh, my mind has been running on a couple of parallel tracks, which I, as you're talking, which I can't, it's not the right time to develop. But one is I, I, I just, so many family situations, you know, where there's tension, misunderstanding or business situations and the role of peacemaker and how important that is there. Um, you, you could say order bringer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, and then the other one I've been thinking about, as you've been talking about, is the unfortunate tendency of Christians to form into warring camps over points of doctrine. Yes. Isn't that? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's so contrary to what God calls us to. Completely. Uh, and, and the, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, a, I, I, I attend a church whose many of whose doctrines I fiercely disagree with. Um, but, but I've felt largely through perhaps initially my wife and her leading in it, but then through the scriptures, God's that's a secondary issue. The primary issue is the presence of God, fellowship with his saints, putting all those things into perspective. And for Christians to be tearing each other down and arguing amongst themselves and, and casting out one or the other group, and even, of course, in some times of history, killing each other yeah. uh, over these things. It's, it's just not the way it's supposed to be. John, um, it's always lovely uh talking to you i thank god for you and our friendship <clears throat> and the contribution you've made to gospel conversations over many years well thank you for giving this opportunity for for conversation to talk about our our ideas i think this is a very helpful thing okay god bless and good evening over there in uh, in chicago okay have a great day thanks bye bye <laughs>